So most of you know Travis. Uh, if you were here in, uh, in the Wednesday night, uh, he spoke and uh, did a beautiful job on humility and uh, took us through the scriptures. And uh, I was blessed to be able to sit and listen and not have to prepare. And uh, he's going to come and preach this morning. And he's the one with this lovely family that you see up here that take up a whole pew and all the little ones and uh, a beautiful family. We're, we're looking forward to hearing him. So Travis, if you'd come, and this is the son of Gary and Odina and uh, the proud parents. So we're looking forward to what you have to share in the Word. Thank you, Pastor Tom. So my mom would, I have to use this opportunity to uh, call out my mother, uh, she would wish that I uh, um, show that I do have a sense of humor before it gets serious. So um, I will give you a, a, a Travis original. Uh, what did the chicken say to the farmer when he took its egg, or she took, he took the farmer's egg? Lego my ego. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Now, let's pray. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, O Lord. Father, it is my desire that your people here and around the world, that their hearts would be consumed with Christ. That he would be our vision, our glory, now and forevermore. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin our conversation today talking about burdens. They're putting in a new sidewalk by our... Uh, our bike, a bike trail by our house, and they're, you know, ripping up the ground and hauling in, hauling away and hauling in all sorts of, of dirt, and they've got these big, gigantic trucks. You probably know what I'm talking about, these big trucks that are loaded with dirt or gravel and all that sort of uh, good stuff that will help them accomplish the task that they need to accomplish. Now, if you were to take that same load and apply it to my truck, which is a simple F-150, it would break the suspension, just destroy it. It just can't bear the burden. Well, sometimes there's, uh, to give another analogy, there's uh, people that go to the gym, and they go to the gym to uh, increase their burden on their muscles in order to grow stronger. But if you were to increase it too much, too quickly, then it would simply break the body and it would become useless. If we're going to talk about education, uh, a toddler cannot bear the, load, the same amount of load of knowledge and of work that a college student can bear. Now, all of these, uh, I'm showing, I'm, I'm trying to, dis to display to us, the topic of our message today is that Christ is our curse bearer, and in fact, he has borne a load that's not, that no single man can bear by themselves in bearing the curse of God, nor could all of humanity across time from the beginning of it to the end of it even come close to bearing this load together. It's an impossibility. So even though those, uh, those illustrations I gave before are, are, are okay, they, they fail to meet the load that we're talking about today, the burden that we're talking about today. And so maybe a more proper illustration would be for us to perhaps ask a paralytic to squat 1,080 pounds, which is the current world record. 
Or perhaps it would be for us to ask an, uh, a suckling baby to make a discovery that wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Or perhaps it would be to uh, ask someone who, who has no legs to run a four-minute mile. We're talking about a difference that spans that's not even comparable. We cannot achieve these things alone. It cannot be done. We, as humans, cannot endure such a wrath, such anger, and such disfavor of the Lord poured out on us because of sin. And this is why hell is eternal, because we could never bear the weight of the full displeasure of God for our sin. But it doesn't have to be this way. See, there is a person who can bear this load, in fact, not just for one person, but for all peoples. And he did bear this load. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and he is our curse bearer. And while it is true that all men sin, and so all men are under God's curse, it is equally true that God has given us an opportunity in this life. As long as you have breath to your lungs and strength to your body, you have an opportunity to trust and believe and obey the gospel, to come out from the curse and into Christ under his protective umbrella of grace. Grace, who is Jesus Christ, and enter in to the fullness of the blessing of God. The primary text today is Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. You may turn there now. And I hope that we can see the amazing weight of Christ Jesus, what he did, not just for us, but for all of mankind. And he is of far greater stature, indeed, than our finite minds can comprehend. And for me, I can tell you that I long for the days of eternity where we can just gaze at the beauty of Christ forever and ever. Galatians 3, 10 through 14, it reads, For as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I mentioned several times that our topic today is centered around curses, but this also includes blessings. I've spoken this word curse several times, and it is a concept that requires definition, me to define it, because perhaps when you hear the word curse, you might think of maybe voodoo or witchcraft or vain language. And this curse that is being spoken of here in Galatians and all throughout the Bible is none of those things. This curse is the disfavorable presence of God. It is the presence of God, void, absent of his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace. 
It is the mighty hand of God, the iron scepter, the vengeance, the wrath, the destruction of God poured out on one person or the ones who are the object of God's curse. And let me defend this and lay out its biblical case. But in order to do so, I want to begin the defense with the antithesis, which is the blessing. Blessings are much more easy to talk about. The ultimate blessing in this life and in eternity is the fullness of the presence of God in all that is good. It's God and his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and patience and steadfastness and tenderness, and it's absent of his wrath and his anger and his vengeance. And this is the ultimate blessing that was to be poured out upon the nation of Israel and through them the world. It was the blessing that they, as a people of God, were to seek after, to set their face like flint, to pursue with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is demonstrated for us in the Hebrew benediction found in Numbers 6, 22 through 27. I think I included that slide. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. In other words, let me, get, let me expound on this for a moment. May the favorable presence of the Lord dwell with you, O Israel. May his face His face shine richly upon you. May his expression towards you be grace and peace from now and forevermore. And this was to be the blessing that was poured out on Israel, God's chosen nation. And they were supposed to be a light unto the nations, were they not? Putting the glory of God on display for all the world to see and fear and seek after. A nation that called the world to God. God himself is and was to be the desire and the satisfaction of people. Not the things that God gave them, or could possibly give them, but his presence, which is the ultimate blessing. When you think of God's blessings, or God's blessing, or blessing, the blessing of God, do you think of his glorious presence? Or do you just think of what God can give you? We need to change our thought process on this. What is the one thing that you seek after? The one thing that you cannot live without it because to live without it is to die. I don't want this life. I want you, O God, you and you alone. Is it God or is it something else? The testimony, the testimony of men and women of God given throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout the centuries has been, give me God or let me die. I need him. I want him. Give me God or this life is not worth living. Is this not what Moses said in Exodus 33? God, I don't want the blessing of the promised land. I don't want it if it means that you're not going to go with me. 
I want you. God, show me your glory. What about King David? God, I am after one thing and one thing only, and it is your heart. Oh, my God. It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And when David, Pastor talked on this last week, and when David grew complacent in his relationship with the Lord and just fell into the practice of religion, he fell into sin. And then David cries out in Psalm 51, Do not cast me away from your presence. Your presence. What about the Apostle Paul? who, as a Pharisee, was zealous for the law and a persecutor of the church, and he sees the glory of God in the face of Christ on the road to Damascus, and in later he pens in Philippians chapter 3, I must know Christ and his glory. This is what I press on towards. My goal is Christ, and I have made it my aim to lay hold of him. Of who? Of Christ. And then we have St. Augustine of Hippo, a gigantic church father, who, fell, who, who wrote these words, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. And then there's John Owen, one of those dead guys that pastor likes. A Puritan scholar, perhaps one of the best of his time, and he dwelt much on the glory of Christ. And he says, my goal my goal is God himself, at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. And at the end of his life, he said to his friend William Payne, who also served as his biographer, Oh, Brother Payne, the longed-wished longed day for has come at last, in which I shall see the glory in another manner than I have ever done or was capable of doing in this world. The truth is that mankind was made for the blessing of the presence of God. There is nothing, and I mean nothing in this world that can satisfy the soul but God alone. Every other pursuit is a chasing after the wind. You think you've caught it only to open up your hand and find nothing. Vanity of vanities, cries the preacher, all else is vanity. Do you see, church, that this must be our pursuit? And this pursuit is further defended in Psalm 80. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The words will be up on the screen. The people of God in Psalm 80 were under the disfavorable presence of God because of their disobedience. They were under his curse. And this is a psalm of lamentation, and the psalmist cries out four times in this short psalm for God's blessing to shine upon them once again. Verse 3, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Verse 7, O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Verse 14, O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven, see, and take care of this vine. Verse 19, O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. The author of this psalm communicates that we are 
your people, O God, and we are in agony over this curse that is upon us, and we desire to be restored to your presence. We need you, O God. The blessing of your presence, even though we don't deserve it. Do you see that? See, the nation of Israel, it had a special covenant relationship with the Lord God, the Almighty. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And this is seen in no better place than Deuteronomy 27 and 28. You can turn with me there, but we're going to come right back to Galatians afterwards. I want this imagery, pay close attention, I want this imagery to stick in our mind because there is a sign right here, a sticker that says, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And I promise you, if you stick with me, you will see him and he will be your vision. In this passage of Deuteronomy, the Israelites, they were to cross over the Jordan and into the promised land which the Lord gave them. God commanded them that when they crossed over the Jordan, the 12 tribes were to be split up into two groups. Half of them were to stand on Mount Ebal, and the other half of them were to stand on Mount Gerizim. They were to declare the covenant blessings and the covenant cursings of God in unified agreement. And it shouldn't really be a big deal because they were created for the blessings. We just saw that, right? They should desire the blessing, the presence of God, and he should be so attracted to them that we like, we don't even want this, so there's no way we're going to disobey. Unfortunately, we know from Scripture that the Israelites did not keep their end of the covenant up. They disobeyed. And a part of that disobedience was already read in Psalm 80. And the curses of Deuteronomy were poured out upon that nation. They forgot God. They forgot him. And they perished because of that lack of knowledge. So, with the imagery in our mind, we have half the tribes of Israel on Mount Tabal, and we have half the tribes of Israel on Mount Gerizim. Half were to represent covenant cursings, and the other half were to represent covenant blessings. And those on Mount Ebal were to say amen to all the covenant curses of God. Deuteronomy 27, 13 through 26, thus says the Lord. For the curse, these tribes on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Ephalti, the Levites shall then respond and say to all the people of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed! is the person who makes a carved image or a cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord in the works of the hands of, of a craftsman and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall reply, Amen. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother contemptuously, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who displaces his neighbor's boundary marker, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who distorts justice due to a stranger, an orphan, or a widow, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is he, I'm lumping a couple together, cursed is he who commits any form of sexual immorality, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is he who attacks his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say amen. 
Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to attack an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is anyone who does not fulfill the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. And then there's to look over on the tribes, uh, the tribes that are standing on Mount Gerizim. And these tribes were just simply to, be, to listen, to pay attention, because these were blessings pronounced upon them for their obedience. There was nothing to agree to there. This is God's end. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 9. Now it shall be, this is to Mount Gerizim, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being faithful to do all his commandments, which I am commanding you today, that the Lord your God will put you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come to you and reach you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the country. Blessed will be the children of your room and the produce of the ground and the offspring of your animals, the newborn of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed will you be when you come in and blessed will you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated by you. They will go out against you one way and flee from your presence seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing for you in your barns and in everything that you put your hand to do, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. That one sounds pretty good. Just a point of clarification here. We, the church, are not national Israel. We're not promised blessings for obedience and curses. Uh, sorry, we are not uh, pronounced blessed for our obedience. We are pronounced blessed for Christ's obedience. And you'll see that soon. The purpose of these blessings were to show the world through the nation of Israel that there is only one God. And when the nation of Israel as a whole obeyed, there was covenant blessings that we just read. And in turn, when the nation of Israel as a whole disobeyed, there was covenant cursings. And either way, God was communicating to the world that there is but one God and he reigns in Israel. So with this imagery of blessings and cursings, with God's favor and disfavor on your mind, Turn back to Galatians. We're going to come back to Deuteronomy when we're talking about Christ at the end. And now is the time for honesty, an honest reflection into your life and into your heart. In light of these covenant curses and blessings, what should God do with you? What should he do with you? You may say, well, I'm not as bad as some, or I haven't broken all those things in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, all those curses, I hadn't done all that. Or perhaps God is so gracious and loving that he'll just forgive me. I want to reread Galatians 3.10. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Let me make it clear. No one is justified. That is a legal term to be legally declared right before God on the basis of the law or on the basis of your deeds. Let's simplify it. It can't be done. For God requires moral perfection to stand in his presence. 
And if we have broken one commandment given in the law, we are guilty. That is only taking one cookie out of the cookie jar without permission. The law condemns us. This text is clear. Who is cursed? Everyone who does not abide by some of the things that are written, a couple of them, all the things that are written. Cursed is everyone who does not walk alongside of the law, being careful to do what it commands, not just at one point in time in their life, but every moment of every second of their life. Those, this is, this is all encompassing. There's no way around it. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, if you're not Jewish here, then you're a Gentile. That's just how it is. The rest of the world, the whole of man is under the curse of God. Why? Because we have failed to walk by it and perform it completely. Here's the bottom, of the, the bottom line of the bottom line here. And it summarizes the first five books of the law. Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, I don't believe I have a slide for that, but you should know it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Luke adds, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let's simplify this, uh, this, this curses for disobedience with two simple statements. I hope you're listening. Cursed shall you be if you fail to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Every second, every moment of your entire existence. And the second Cursed shall you be if you fail to love your neighbor sacrificially in the same way that you love yourself every moment of your whole existence. That changes the ballgame a little bit, doesn't it, folks? Let me ask you the same question that I asked before. What should God do with you? You see, there, for me, there's never been a millisecond where I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength not once. Perhaps I've done one at a time. Perhaps maybe I've loved the Lord my God with all my heart for a moment, and then it faltered, but not all my strength and all my soul as well. It's an impossibility for us. And I look at myself and my life, and I see despair and condemnation and judgment and curse and curse and curse. And all I deserve is this curse to be poured out on me. Why? For my disobedience. Do you see that? All my life, there has been a part of me that desires to, to pursue the temporal glory of created things rather than the blessing of God, which is his presence. And if you take an honest look at your life, you can't say anything different. I don't know about you, but this makes my heart cry out, is there any hope for us? Is there any grace for me, for you, for mankind? Despair and despair and despair, do you see it? 
But oh, my dear brethren, there is hope, and it is in Christ Jesus our curse bearer. For Galatians 3.13 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Redeemed, precious word. Redeemed is a word that is used, associated with imagery of purchasing a captive or slaves. This is a declaration of truth. Christ redeemed us. He purchased us out of captivity from Mount Ebal, placing us on Mount Gerizim. What is the captivity in this context here in Galatians 3, 10 through 14? The captivity is the curse of God. His divine disfavor, his wrath, his justice, his vengeance. Christ purchased us out from the curse and placed us into the blessing. How? By bearing the curse for us. For who? For those who believe upon Christ and his redemptive work. For them, for believers who have faith. They have been taken off of Mount Ebal and placed onto Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. Why? Why? Certainly not uh, because of any work that you have done or I have done or that we could have done collectively, but because of that, the work that Christ did as our curse bearer. God had written down before in the book of the law that cursed shall be the cursed shall be hung upon a tree. That reference is Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, if you want to note it for yourself. Meaning that the evidence that those people that died were under the curse of God was that they were hung upon a tree after their death. And this was served as a warning for all to see, don't disobey, don't disobey. Believe, trust, and obey. May I ask you a question? How did Christ die? How did he die? What was the method of his physical death? It just happens that God sent his son in the fullness of time when the method of death was crucifixion upon a tree. Upon a tree. Any earlier, and perhaps he might have been sawn in two like Isaiah was. Perhaps he would have been beheaded like James or any other multitude of people. Would any of these other deaths served as a demonstration that Christ is our curse bearer? No. They would all fail. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did Jesus cry out upon that cursed tree, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't because he was asking the question to God. God, why are you forsaking me? Jesus knew full well why God, what was happening and what God was doing. He fought that battle back in Gethsemane. God, not my will, not my will, but your will be done. He knew it. And the author of Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. In other words, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the curse, despising its shame. So why did Jesus cry out, my, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He called out for the benefit of you, 
For the observers at that time and for everybody who would read this account of history from God, Christ's witnesses, he quoted Psalm 22 to tell the audience what was happening, to tell us that he, Christ, the Son of God, was made a curse so that we, through faith, could be blessed. That although he did nothing wrong, he was cursed on Mount Ebal because of our wrong. You see, God, he put his son on display for all the world to see that Christ was cursed by God the Father. What the world didn't understand was that it was for their gain. Because they would have an opportunity to come out from the wrath and the curse and into the blessing if they would only be found in Christ by faith. For in Christ Jesus is the blessing of Abraham. The blessing that comes through works? No one's shaking their head. There we go, we got one. No, through faith. Why? Because Christ is our curse bearer. Do you see it? This is important to note one thing, that it is in Christ that we come out of the curse and into the blessing. In Christ we are blessed. We must be under the protective umbrella, so to speak, of Christ to be redeemed from the disfavorable presence of God. Every one of us seated here, and every one of us in this world were once under God's curse on Mount Ebal. We were what the scriptures call in Adam. In Adam. In terms of position before God, there are only two places you can be. Only two. In Adam or in Christ. In Adam or in Christ. Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim. Only two. There's no middle ground, there's no in-between. You are either in Adam, lost and condemned for eternity in hell for forever and ever, or you are in Christ and pronounced blessed and ushered into the presence of God now and forevermore. Only two. So remember that picture of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. I want this to be in our mind's eye as we look to Christ as our curse-bearer, So let's look at that again. You can turn back to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. I'm going to finish the illustration. Remember, we have Mount Ebal, the mountain of cursing, and Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. And by right of our own works of unrighteousness, the whole lot of us deserve to be here on Mount Ebal. No question about it. Placed under the curse of God, under his divine, disfavorable presence, all the world, every man woman, and child to be born in the line of Adam should be here on Ebal, cursed of God for eternity, suffering under intense, divine, disfavorable presence of the Lord. And by right, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who fulfilled the law perfectly, who knew no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength every moment of his life, and who desired and pursued the glory of God onto a Roman cross, he should be the only one on Mount Gerizim, for he is the only one who is able to keep the law and fulfill it completely. Yet Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his love in this, 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died? Does it say that while we were yet good people, does it say that while we were yet trying to be righteous, does it say that while we were yet, eh, while you were yet sinners, Christ died? And so by way of illustration, I want us to recall this imagery, and I want it to be implanted in our minds, sir, that we would see Jesus of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. All of us should be here, over here, on Mount Ebal. There should only be one on Gerizim. For there was one and only one to keep the law completely, only one whose pursuit on earth was for God and his glory alone. He is Jesus and he is our curse bearer. And by right of his perfect life, he should be there. Yet instead, what did he do? He stood on Mount Ebal. He stood on the Mount of Curse. It shouldn't be this way. But God has made it so. He has redeemed or purchased at a cost who? Who did he redeem? Those in Christ through faith. How did he redeem them? By being their curse bearer. And I want to see this and set it in stone by refraining some of Deuteronomy 27 with Christ our curse bearer in mind. Remember that this is God's covenant of curses and blessing. Christ crucified upon a tree was a demonstration to all the world that Jesus was cursed by God, cursed for doing nothing wrong. So Jesus stands on Mount Abal, the Mount of Cursing, instead of on Mount Gerizim where he belongs. And I'm going to reread Deuteronomy 27, 15 through some of that, 15 through 26. But I'm going to reread it with the understanding of God, the Father, pronouncing his covenant curses upon his beloved Son. And with his beloved Son, Jesus, replying in agreement to this covenant. And so if, as if God was speaking to his Son, Jesus, on Mount Abal, Cursed are you, as if you made an idol, an abomination to the Lord. And Christ says, Amen. Yes, Father, I agree. Cursed are you, as if you dishonored your father or mother. Amen, Father. Yes, I agree. Cursed are you, as if you met a, misled a blind person on the road. Amen, Father. Yes, I agree. Cursed are you, if you dis, as if you distorted the justice due to an alien, orphan, or a widow. Amen, Father. Cursed are you as if you committed every sexual immoral deed. Amen, Father. Cursed are you as if you did not confirm the words of the law by doing them. Yes, Father. I agree. Notice I said, as if. As if is important here. Jesus was cursed as if he did those things. He didn't do those things. We did. And he was cursed because of our disobedience. You see, Jesus bore the curse of God for whosoever should believe in him. And he said, Amen, Father, to the full weight of God's righteous wrath and justice poured out on him because of our sin. Because of our disobedience. I agree, Father. I agree. I am cursed. Punish me on their behalf, for this is the only way to save them. 
Flip over to Deuteronomy 28, 15. Keeping the same imagery in your mind, God speaks to Christ upon that cursed tree. My God, my God, why have you forsaken thee, me? God replies, I have forsaken you because you are cursed as if you were full of disobedience. And I will not withhold any of my curses from you, my son. You shall have the full force of my wrath because of the disobedience of these people. Deuteronomy 28.15, I'm refraining it, remember. But it shall come about, since these people did not obey the Lord their God and observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes, which I charged them, that all these curses will come upon you, my beloved son, and overtake you. Cursed will you be in the city, and cursed will you be in the country. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed will be the children of your womb, the produce of your ground, the newborn of your herd, and the offspring of your flock. Cursed will you be when you come in, and cursed will you be when you go out. The Lord will send against you curses, panic, and rebuke, and everything you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of their deeds, because they have abandoned me. Do you see it? Do you see him, Christ, our curse bearer? This is the price of our sin. It was that he who knew no sin had to be crushed under the fullness of the curse of God. The divine disfavor of the Almighty God cursed on our behalf. How can this be that Christ the King should die for thee? And this is a truth that we will spend eternity chasing after and most likely never reach a full understanding of. And can you see now why the apostle who, Paul who penned Galatians would say that the love of Christ controls me? What great love was put on display at Calvary? What Amazing grace was bestowed upon the human race at Calvary. There is hope for us. There is hope for mankind, for God, and his kindness has given us life and breath and strength to lead us to believe in Christ, our curse bearer, to change our minds of our wrong thinking, our wrong pursuits, and pursue the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is our curse bearer. I wish to be very clear here at the end. John 3.16 is quoted very often, but John 3.36 is more applicable here. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who disobeys the Son, will not see life, but the curse of God abides on him. It's a personal question. Is Christ your personal curse bearer? The word of God declares that all who do not obey the Son are under God's curse presently, right now. And it will be fully consummated when your breath runs out. Obey the Son. 
Regard him as Lord and master and do what he commands you to do. Am I saying that we're saved by works? No, by no means. But I am saying that your works show if you are saved. Let me give you an illustration to close. I desire to please my wife. I love her. And so if she wants me to do something and do it a specific way, no problem. I'm happy to do it. Is serving Jesus like that for you? Do you happily do what he commands you to do? Do you know what he commands you to do? Because if you don't, then there is a great possibility that you are presently under God's curse. And to you, I say, come out from there. Come out from the curse of God and into the protective umbrella of Christ. Truly come out of Mount Ebal and be placed onto the blessing of God in Mount Gerizim. I mean, truly, come to me, all you who labor and who are weary and heavy laden. What? I will give you rest. Rest. I truly mean rest and believe in the works of Christ, our curse bearer. Seek him. Cry out for his mercy, and he will freely give it to you. Then seek to know him and his commands that you would happily serve and obey the Lord of glory, our curse bearer. And for you who are currently on Mount Gerizim, I encourage you to pick this up. By his spirit, read this. Every single day, over and over, front to back, front to back again. When you're finished, start over again. Read it to your children. Read it to your spouses. Read it to, just, just read it. Consume it. Then we might begin to know what Paul was saying, and that the love of Christ controls him. And I promise you, it will change you. Let us pray, and then we'll invite the worship team to come up after. Father, there were some amazing truths spoken today, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear them, to meditate on them, to, to let them control our lives. Lord, if there are some here today who are under your curse, the wrath of God abiding on them currently, I pray that the fear of God would come into them and that the love of Christ would compel them to be, come over Save them by your great mercy. And for your people, the church, Lord, we are your people, your people, called to do what you have told us to do. And I pray that this information wouldn't just be information, but that we would put it into practice by loving you more and encouraging others to love you more, and that we would go forth from here and serve, serve you, not according to our thoughts and our selfish ambitions, but according to your word and what you declare and how you've told us to serve you. We praise you and we give you thanks. May the love of Christ control us as it did the Apostle Paul. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.